the podcast from Commonwealth Magazine. I'm Michael Jonas. If you thought the battle over charter schools in Massachusetts ended two years ago with the defeat of a ballot question that would have raised the cap on the schools, think again. While the ballot question was rejected decisively, existing state law still allows for charter school growth in communities that have not reached their own cap. One of them is New Bedford, which may soon become ground zero for the state's latest charter battle. Two existing New Bedford charter schools have applied to the state to add more seats, in one case 100 seats, and in the case of Alma Del Mar Charter School, nearly 1,200 seats. A third group, meanwhile, has applied to open a new charter school in the city. Mayor John Mitchell has come out strongly against the proposed expansions, arguing that they would have a devastating effect on the city's district school system. Tim Nicolette, executive director of the Massachusetts Charter Public School Association, meanwhile, penned an op-ed last week in the New Bedford Standard Times, arguing in favor of the expansion, saying that there is a strong need for, quote, more high-quality options for families in uh, New Bedford schools. And he went on to say the city's the fourth lowest performing district in the state and, quote, parents and students deserve better and they shouldn't have to wait another generation to get it. Well, we're joined today by New Bedford Mayor John Mitchell. Mr. Mayor, thanks so much for taking time to talk. Yeah, you bet, Michael. Great to have, uh, great to be here. Thanks for having me. And I should just add, we reached out to the State Charter School Association to invite Tim Nicolette to join in the conversation, but he declined to do so. So, uh, Mayor Mitchell, there's clearly uh, some demand for charter school seats in New Bedford. The existing schools have have hundreds of students on their waiting lists, and there is, uh, as I said, a room in the in the state cap to add more seats in New Bedford under the current law. So, why why oppose the effort? Well, I, I guess in short. Uh the answer, Michael, to that is just because you can doesn't mean you should. In other words, add charter seats uh, that uh, where there is availability under the state cap. And it, let me just preface everything that I'm about to say with um, uh, the fact that I, I am I don't count myself among those who categorically oppose uh, charter schools. We we have charter schools in the city. We've had working relationships uh, with most of them. And uh, I, I see charter schools, I've always seen the virtue of charter schools as being that which was originally attend, uh, intended for them, that is, as laboratories for uh, new curriculum development, new pedagogy, uh, new ways of, uh, of educating uh, children, especially in, in an urban setting. Um, and uh, they, they, they do bring uh, certain important um, attributes that we'd like to see more of in our uh, district and, and that every district would like to see more of uh, more available learning time, uh, greater flexibility in scheduling and scheduling and curriculum, as well as uh, you know a greater opportunity for philanthropic support. So, um, you know, for me, it's it doesn't these these discussions don't come down to um, you know the uh, competing um, uh, uh, attributes of of the their their business models, that is to say traditional district schools and, and charter schools, it's really, it's really a question of money. And, you know, what, um, what I've argued is that um, the introduction of charter schools uh, not only uh, imposes on a city's ability to continue to fund uh, its district, but it also imposes a significant burden uh, more generally on city government and on city taxpayers. Um, I, I think this is a, an imposition that um, uh, has, has 
borne itself out in a number of places in Massachusetts. And I think in the case of New Bedford, what's proposed for in the way of an expansion is, um, you know, for a city that has the, the financial constraints that we have, um, completely unreasonable. Um, so, you know, in, in direct answer to your question about, you know, what do you say to the parents who are on waiting lists? Then my answer right. is, my answer is, in, in part, it's um, charter schools. Uh, my, my job as mayor, as the chair of my school district, is um, is to educate as, as best we can uh, every kid. Uh, some we have some thirteen thousand students in our district. Uh, we have uh, over a thousand students in charter seats, and uh, we have uh, regional school districts, especially uh, New Bedford Vocational School, that uh, are also, uh, to a, in, a, in a less direct way, our responsibility. I want, I want to see kids have uh, the, the greatest and uh, the broadest opportunities uh, that we can uh, make available uh, for them. But you know, the, this is, at the end of the day, uh, a zero-sum proposition for, for cities that are financially constrained, not only because um, of you know, what's what in effect is taken away from districts, but also uh, uh, what uh, what other services might be compromised and, and uh, as well as the imposition on taxpayers. I'd be happy to go into more detail of, uh, about that right. in Bedford. I mean, just to give you a little bit of a snippet though, since charters have been introduced in the city, we've, we've decreased the size of our fire and police departments. Uh, we've uh, closed one school. We've closed one fire station. We've, you know, we, and at the same time, uh, we've raised taxes considerably. Some, the average single-family uh, um, tax bill in the in the city has gone up some 24 percent just in the last five years, which is just significant. And now we have the seventh highest commercial tax rate in the state. You know, for mm -hmm. us as a, as a city that's trying to attract capital and and to, to stimulate investment, that's not a good place for us to be. So as mayor, I've got to take all these things into consideration. And it's not out of, you know, as some charter proponents might might insinuate, it's not because, you know, we're, you know, as mayor, I'm some, somehow a shill for the teachers union, or I'm, mm -hmm. uh, I, I'm trying to, um, you know, placate taxpayers. I have to take everything into consideration. I think the record in New Bedford in the last five years it would show that there is no community in the state that has been willing to take on political risk to improve the condition of its, of its uh, schools. Right. So it is, I mean, as you say, uh, a zero-sum uh, proposition in the sense that, you know, we have only so many dollars both locally and at the state level to educate kids. And so, um, you know, the, the argument for charters has been that the funding formula sort of follows a very sensible uh, uh, structure, some would say, which is the dollars follow the students. So, you know, there's some, you say, over a thousand students now in charters. If these uh, proposals all went through, that would, I guess, more than double. Uh, and, um, and the argument would be that, uh, you know, th those dollars would then go with the students as they should into a different kind of publicly funded school that's not under the, uh, under the city's uh, watch, but the you know the city will be relieved of of those you know thousand or more students uh, uh, that it's currently paying to educate. So that's that's certainly been the the logic or the rationale of the charter right. funding. And so what's I mean what's wrong with that? I know you've argued and you even wrote a piece uh, for us in Commonwealth recently 
arguing uh, that the, the funding formula is broken. It, uh, what, what about it is broken, I guess, is the question. Well, there, there are a couple of problems. So, Michael, I mean, you, you summarize the uh, charter school uh, argument, uh, very, very charter school proponent argument very well. Uh, my response uh, is that it's not quite that simple. Um, as the charter, charter proponents would have uh, folks believe that when you uh, are, when a charter organization is authorized to build a school uh, uh, and to govern that school for the, the period of uh, the, the charter, usually five years in Massachusetts, that, you know, it's just an exercise in the, you know, the district shutting down a school and then transferring all the, you know, the, the, the money over to, uh, to the charter on a, on a per pupil equivalent basis. Uh, it's just it isn't that simple because when a charter opens up in uh, in a school district, kids are drawn from all over the district, right? So you may have a couple of kids and from a classroom of 25 who are pulled uh, to a charter from one end of the city into the charter. You may have a couple from another classroom of 20 pulled into the charter from another school and so forth. And so, you know, there isn't a basis for the school district to uh, reduce either uh, the number of classrooms. Um, uh, or, for that matter, uh, uh, some of the fixed costs, such as you know the principal in the classroom, the janitor or janitors in the building, the nurse in the building, and and all these irreducible expenses, including the the, the plant and capital uh, of, of of the schools. So it isn't it isn't, uh, it, it isn't uh, quite uh, a just a sort of uh, you know a straight linear transfer of funds. The reality is that the the district has to continue to pay for those expenses. And then there are additional um, complications, right? So rather than having those kids who go to charter schools walk to school anymore to their neighborhood schools, they have to be bused. And the, the district ends up picking that up. Um, the per pupil calculation is based on the, uh, the district's per pupil spending, which, which uh, reflects uh, the spending that the school district makes on all kids, including um, special ed, uh, very high need special ed students, which uh, ordinarily don't go to charter schools, or they, at least they do in very, very low numbers. Um, so there's you know that level of complication. The state, mm -hmm. for its part, in theory, has uh, has had in place a mechanism to offset those those costs for the first five years of uh, a charter's operation, uh, in which 100% uh, of the the district's added expenses. Uh, are uh, offset dollar for dollar, 100% in year one, and then in the out years, 25% up to up to five years. The, but the reality is the legislature, so that's helpful. It doesn't, uh, if it were fully funded, uh, the, uh, it would, it would, it would um, mitigate the financial impact. Right. Uh, but the reality is that it doesn't, in, uh, in no. part because it's not enough statutorily. And the, by the way, the legislature hasn't bothered to fully fund it right, and, and right. for several years now. And that I've heard even, you know, charter proponents say uh, they wish that uh, it would be funded because I think they understand that it, uh, it's not helpful to their cause uh, when, when that's been kind of, you know, it, sort of sitting in the background to the conversations is that we're not even really fully, fully uh, uh, sort of playing by the rules that, that had been set forth for how these are funded. But I guess I wonder what, I mean, do you see sort of a way forward here? We obviously, as I said at the outset, we had a big debate over, over, over large charter expansion uh, two years ago with the ballot question that was voted down, you know, nearly two to one. Um, but there, you know, there still is room 
uh, to expand charters. We are going to have proposals like this come up. Um, you know, what would be a, a what would be a reasonable solution? And and it's you know, and 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 again with with this idea that the dollars are constrained. You know, we're not going to be able to just kind of double pay for kids to be uh, uh, you know who are in one school and pay pay both sort of. Uh, systems at the same time indefinitely. Um, I hate to sound pessimistic about it, but there there aren't um, easy solutions or inexpensive right. solutions. There, there yeah. really aren't. Uh, so we can say sit here and say yes. We can all agree that the legislature should fully fund its its statutory charter commitment, right? But right. that doesn't really, and, and that would help for sure. And that's something that, uh, as as you noted, both charter proponents as well as uh, district folks have, have advocated for a number of years now, but that doesn't it doesn't solve it. I mean, what we're trying to do, I mean, look, think of the goals. We want to provide kids wherever they live the best education possible, right? And that's an expensive proposition, no matter what. Um, and we want to do it. And by the, by the way, um, we want to do it in a way that's uh, folks in the community feel is legitimate at some level. And I think. Uh, by that I mean, you know, the the surprise, uh, somewhat surprising um, uh, setback of the charter um, um, cap lifting referendum a couple of years ago was in part a feeling, and, I, and by the way, I would include myself among those who opposed it, mm-hmm. um, um, was in part a reflection of. Uh, you know, community saying, you know what, um, we just want a little bit. We would like to have a little bit more say in. Uh, the education of our children. Um, we appreciate the state, especially in, especially in cities, uh, funds a considerable amount of, of the bill and the states should have a say in the matter. But you know what? Education, this public education that is, is so contextual, right? It's, it's, a, uh, it's a inherently an exercise in uh, the participation of teachers, of faculty, of parents, of families, of communities. And not all communities are the same. Not all uh, community tax bases are the same. Um, and I think that has to be factored into the equation. And 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 so far as it does, um, you know, the success of schools in part rests on the, the ability of uh, cities to um, to improve in other dimensions, right? To, right. to have safer streets, to mm-hmm. to have better services, to, have, to expand their tax bases, to compete economically. And so sometimes I can certainly speak for New Bedford. Uh, the, the, the um, you know, it's, I think the, what we had one charter school set up that had been Boston. It was a Boston-based charter school that came here, and people said, you know, we feel like we're being colonized. We're not part of Greater Boston, and and folks from far away said, you know, you must take take on the the, the school and the expense associated with it. And I, I I get in theory why that's that's happening, and it's well intended. I'm not saying it's not. But at some level, people would just sort of shrug their shoulders and say, you know what, you know, we'd, we'd like to manage our own affairs. Right, uh, right. And, and, but it, but and, there's, really, there's really sort of a natural tension there, I think, that the state law recognizes, which is that, you know, districts and, and municipalities are, are in general not going to be excited about charters coming in, which, again, operate outside of their purview, but um, use some combination of local and state dollars. And so I guess... That's why, you know, uh, at the beginning you said that, you know, a- about the remaining uh, room in the, in the New Bedford uh, cap, that just because there is room 
to add charters doesn't mean we should. And I, and I, and, and I think that, um, in general, the approach of the state and the State Board of Education has been, in some ways, and I'm sure this is much to the chagrin of local officials, but to not really factor in uh, local opposition as long as they see that there's a sound proposal and some degree of, of local support among people who'd want to attend um, you know, the arguments that it, it will be sort of detrimental to the district, I, I think if I'm right, tell me if I'm wrong, it has not really held sway uh, to a great degree. And again, that's somewhat by design, that, and that's why the authorization has been remained entirely with the state. There was a proposal in the legislature uh, that didn't uh, go anywhere to... Yeah, there, there's, yeah, there's no question that the, this, the fact of local opposition alone will not win the day, nor... nor nor am I suggesting that it, should, it, it shouldn't. I, I think these decisions have to be made on the merits, and the merits include, the, frankly, the ability of a municipality to afford not only uh, the, 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 its charter obligations once that, that kicks in, but also uh, its ability to continue to do uh, right by the vast majority of students who remain in the district and then, secondly, uh, you know the the, the the quality of education in, in the district it, itself. You know, um, it, 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 these things all have to be set in context, right? So, you know, mm-hmm. I, I I like a lot of what charter schools do. I like a lot of uh, uh, many aspects of their model, the flexibility, the you know, degree right. of autonomy. But at the same time, you know, anybody who suggests that. You know these sort of uh, uh, facile comparisons between performance of a charter in a particular city and the district in the city are, are just, I think, are uh, are going down the wrong path. I mean, the, the charter schools don't select for race or uh, income or any other sort of you know superficial uh, attribute. They select for motivated families and uh, right. those who are willing to actually enter the lottery and show up and keep their kid in school. And that is a huge advantage for any school um, uh, in, in an urban setting. So, uh, for, right, uh, right. In fact, uh, you and I have had this conversation in the past with regard to the vocational uh, school oh, there, and some of the same some of the same issues. So, I just you know we're, we'll kind of wind, wind things up here, but I did want to just sort of maybe end by asking about that. I mean, this whole debate really comes down to, in some ways. A uh, an effort to try to figure out ways to, uh, you know, move the needle on achievement for for kids, largely in urban districts, largely kids coming from low income households. That's really where these uh, uh, debates and battles have played out. And and so I guess I just wonder. I mean, you know, what sort of reforms uh, are you, would you like to see in the district system? And I and I do remember that there have been some has been some talk of ways to bring more flexibilities to, uh, to uh, standard district schools. And, and I think you've been supportive of some of those efforts. There's uh, one particular piece of legislation that's been filed uh, to uh, expand on a model that's being used in Springfield uh, uh, called the Empowerment Zone. Um, can you just talk a sure. little bit about, about sort of turning to the district schools? And, and as you said from the outset, you've always been uh, – uh, you know, look to some of the stuff that charters do as positive uh, 
kind of reforms in education. Yeah, so uh, as I said, some of the attributes of, of the charter model are very useful, and I think you'd be hard-pressed to find any mayor in America who th- wouldn't like to see some of those built into their district schools. And we in New Bedford have done just that through successive bargaining rounds in our teachers' union uh, collective bargaining agreement. There is There's been, been some big changes that can be summed up as all geared to making our, our district schools more like charters and, 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 their, and the degree of flexibility and, and, uh, and, and autonomy. Um, I, I would like, you know, and there are some governing mechanisms that I've, I've championed at the state level, including the, the so-called innovation school, uh, zo- excuse right. me, innovation zone model that uh, in effect right. creates sort of a separate governing board for, for sets of schools that is, uh, is, is sort of what, uh, right now has been in place in Springfield uh, for its middle schools for the last couple of years. So we do need to look at some of these other governing models. But uh, at the end of the day, no, nobody should be should should be uh, under the illusion that uh, these uh, these changes uh, uh, are cheap. They're, they're just not. And uh, we have to in, in determining who pays. I think the state. Uh, has to understand the fiscal constraints that cities in Massachusetts, in particular, operate under. They're, they are, um, you know, in, in New Bedford, uh, we're making headway, uh, and we've got an extremely uh, uh, talented team in place to, to do that. And it's not for a lack of will; it's not for a lack of uh, anything else but funding that we, you know, to the extent that we haven't achieved our goals, that we're not there yet. All right, great. Well, listen. Uh, uh, Mayor John Mitchell in New Bedford, I want to thank you so much for taking time to talk to us today on the podcast. Well, I appreciate uh, being with you and, uh, and uh, look forward to our next discussion on this. Okay, great. And you have been listening to another installment of the podcast from Commonwealth Magazine. I'm Michael Jonas. Thanks again, everyone. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.